You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting Podcast, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined, as always, by Hudson Standish. Uh, Hudson, how's it going today? It's great, Mike. We've uh, The lighting isn't great, but that is due to a podcast that's a little bit like a Mike at night, late night huddle version of the state of recruiting. It's kind of fun. I like it. Super late night. We don't usually, we usually uh, just peeling back the curtain, usually record at like 11 a.m. on a Thursday or Wednesday, but uh, I had some things moved around this week, so it is late on Thursday. Uh, let's see. 10 to 10.40 as we start this, so... Uh, we're, we're up late. Um, we've got a, a fun show for you today. We're going to do the mailbag. Uh, we took questions on the Horns 24 seven message board. Uh, but before we get into that, there are some news items we should probably discuss. The big one being, uh, Ajay Hall, the, uh, Alabama wide receiver transfer set to visit Texas this weekend as we broke on Horns 247com today. Um, I feel like we can probably save the big Ajay Hall and his background discussion for if he is a part of this team and we're doing reaction to that. Agreed. Um, you know, possibly next week if something happens this weekend. Real quick, though, you know, obviously for, for people who haven't been keeping up, Ajay Hall was a monster recruit out of high school from the state of Florida, signed with Alabama over offers from just about everybody in the country. I think he was a top 50 prospect in the country. Um, kind of showed out immediately when he got to Bama in their spring game. Has some freakish athletic ability, uh, but couldn't, you know, stay in line enough, I guess, to stay at Alabama. And so uh, he is uh, in the transfer portal. There's a lot of familiarity there because Jeff Banks was his lead recruiter uh, at Alabama. Steve Sarkeesian obviously was involved. So I think, again, we'll probably save the discussion points on the merits of taking a kid like a Jai Hall for if and when it happens. Uh, but for now, I think it's big for Texas to be able to get him on campus. They obviously look like a central player in this portal recruitment. and. If everything's right with him, he adds a completely different dimension to a wide receiver group that was kind of pitiful last year outside of Xavier Worthy and a healthy Jordan Whittington. And when you add in, if we factor in Isaiah Naor and possibly Ajay Hall, that position group got a will get a lot better over this offseason. Yeah, Mike, the first four, if they do land Ajay Hall, is kind of ridiculous considering at times the – you know, struggles that Texas had at the wide receiver uh, position last year. And again, we'll maybe do a deeper breakdown on Ajay Hall if he does end up signing and enrolling at Texas. But it does speak to the level of talent he has that even with all of the, you know, kind of off the field issues and stuff that he had at Alabama, as a true freshman, he was still playing in the playoff and, you know, immediately got on campus and was making waves. So I think that just goes to show what level of talent he is. And like you said, Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian are going to know better than just about any other coach that's recruiting him through the portal about, you know, if they can handle it or not. And played in the national championship game, I want to say. I yeah, and a lot of people have a negative 
memory because he did have a third down drop, I want to say. But, I mean, still, you're getting reps in a national title game as a true freshman, I mean. Yeah, they obviously thought enough of him to have him in the game on a crucial third down. Um, exactly. And, you know, it's not like – I mean – Garrett Wilson dropped the ball sometimes, you know, like I think there are, t there are guys we definitely see out there who have issues with hands, mm -hmm. but I often think like people magnify one drop on a key situation and be like, well, he can't catch, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a good um, example of that. Um, and well, the first one that came to mind was Jake Smith, but I think Jake probably had a little bit more of a case of the drops than, um, I got a good example. Early last year, I think it was in the Tech game, maybe. Ooh. Like Jordan Whittington I, yeah. had a couple drops, and people were like, oh, Jordan Whittington. Can't. And then, yeah. you know, when he was healthy, he was making just amazing catches. Yeah, that is. So, um, you know, I think that happened. So that'll be big. We'll have full coverage of that visit after the visit is over. Uh, we'll talk to our sources and see kind of where things are heading there. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I got to think if Texas gets him on campus, they do have a really strong shot at closing the deal. Big time. Um, Hudson, there's also going to be a couple of other high school visitors on campus this weekend. Uh, who do we got coming? Yeah, Mike, I don't know about you, but it is a little bit more of a loaded group than I thought would be on campus. So the big headline to me, you've got Jalen Hale from Longview making the trip. That's a big one. Another one, Lafayette KOA, one of the priority targets at tight end. Colin Simmons, who might be one of the top priorities in the 2024 class. And then I think Sneaky, one of the more underrated recruits that's going to be on campus, is Abernathy athlete who Texas is recruiting as a safety, Anthony White. He hasn't been back on campus since the Texas Junior Elite Day in January. Texas Tech's pushing hard there. But Blake Gideon has a really good relationship with the small town uh, prospect. And I don't know, I think Texas can definitely make a move this weekend with him. He's one that I think, uh, he's one that I think, especially with AM going on a little bit of a hot streak with defensive backs, matters a lot more now than he did, say, two weeks ago. And he still was viewed as a priority then. Yeah, I think Oklahoma also making a big push for him, and he's got a lot of Sooner ties in his family. I think his grandfather played at Oklahoma. Grand, yep, granddad played at Oklahoma. Um, and, Mike, I kind of just came up with this thought. He and Tyler Turner kind of have a similar background when it comes to schools recruiting them and kind of how they fit as players. Yeah, I think they're seen the same way by a lot of those same schools. They're probably grouped kind of the same on those boards as – as guys that can play the position. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, it, look, right now people want to know who's the priority here, who's the priority there. At this point, you're still putting your board together. I mean, spring evaluations are going to be big for those kind of things. And, um, you know, and the the I, I like to – I joke around on our board when people ask those questions that the, uh, the evaluation process is ongoing. But it is truly, I mean, it, it, you count a guy out now and I could probably, if I sit here and think about guys we counted out in the spring as not being prospects who turned into important prospects in the fall. Um, you know, those are, these are names that you can't just discard because you, you may have to come back to them. Absolutely. And also it's not just for the college coaching staffs. It's for us too. I mean, when, jo when Jordan Matthews, 
clock that sub 10, seven, 100 meter. I mean, our group text with uh, Gabe Brooks was kind of popping off. I mean, it's not just with the college staffs you're with track times and with all the different other spring evaluation tools that we have, whether it's camps or getting to go to high school's practices, you do get a fully formed opinion of these guys. And, you know, the Texas staff's going to take advantage of that. And I think that that's even going to ramp up once they actually get into the live period and can start seeing guys. Yeah, and this is this will be the last visit week and last scrimmage before the spring game. We'll talk more spring game stuff next week uh, leading into that. But, um, you know, this is always, I think, a pretty pivotal scrimmage um, within the spring ball calendar, the last scrimmage. Uh, I mean, it's technically not the last scrimmage because the spring game is basically the last sure. scrimmage of the spring. But uh, the last one that's closed to the public, mm-hmm. I think, is where things kind of really heat up typically and, and start to guys kind of separate. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I mean, it's the last it's the last one where you get the chance to correct all of the mistakes before, you know, 30, 40,000 people at DKR are also watching and, you know, are forming all of their opinions based on getting to see a scrimmage. So that's always fun. And real quick before we get to the mailbag, we're going to – a couple big weeks for us coming up. We're going to be in Houston next week, Hudson and I, uh, hitting the road um, and kind of starting our spring tour um, – we are oh a guy we forgot to mention by the way in that first segment JV and Taviano is a maybe for this weekend as well yeah yeah um, so that would obviously be be big if they could get him on campus um, we'll be in Houston uh, we're going to spend a couple of days in East Texas we're going to be at the spring game to do coverage so Hudson and I will be logging some miles um, over the next few weeks so please keep us uh, in your thoughts as we do that all right Hudson you ready to dive into your first mailbag here on the state of recruiting. Let's do it. Okay, before we do that, we are going to, if you are listening on the podcast, um, we are going to throw this to a break. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Uh, these questions, as always, are brought to you by the Horns 24-7 message board and our illustrious posters over there. We used to, you know, in the infancy of, of the first podcast I did with EJ, uh, in which Hudson was a, uh, I believe, Mailbag uh, submitter. A mailbag contributor. Um, we had an email set up where guys would send me uh, email questions and I would have to go through them and filter each week. We decided to make this kind of a thing of, you know, if you're, if you're a subscriber, you get the access that, that nobody else does. And that access is to be featured on the show. So, um, the, these questions come to us on the board. I was, and I probably should have hit him up to tell him, but I figured maybe he would have seen it on the board. I am disappointed. We did not get a Charles Daniels question. Dang. Um, but that's okay. We uh, nonetheless, we did get a, a lot of good ones. So we're going to start here um, with Rebellion Twenty Three, um, who said, "If you were the Texas recruiting coordinator, who are you pushing for on offense and defense?" Um, so there's a lot of names. I think, in the interest of uh, you know the mailbag here, we probably just stick to one or two names per side. Um, and I think we know all the guys that are priorities, right? We talk about sure. those guys a lot. I think probably here is where we maybe talk a little bit about guys that maybe the fan doesn't necessarily think is a priority, uh, but to, to Texas is, and to if we were in that position, would be to us. For sure. um, so on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Ian Reed. I, I think – um, I think when he was offered, people probably thought, oh, Ian Reed, whatever, Austin Kidd. And he's kind of blown up. Like Alabama's offered Clemson. I mean, not not no kind of to it. Alabama's offered. Clemson's offered. Ohio and, State's offered. Ohio State's offered. And when I saw that he was like a rugby player, I was way more intrigued because yeah. there's a lot of athleticism. And when we saw him at junior day, you got a great eye for like his build. He looks fantastic. I mean, he's just, he's put together extremely well. I think for me, that's a guy that for me is like kind of a must have on the, in this offensive line class. Um, I, I'll go with the skill guy and say, I'll go with Jonah Wilson. I think that, um, you know, having a, the big, the big receiver, Wilson is a guy that is just scratching the surface on what he can do, but the size is legit. The athleticism is legit. If you can harness all that and put it together, I think that, um, you know, it, it makes for a really intriguing package. I think I'm not saying he's this kind of player. Cause I don't think he runs like him, but if you look at Jonah Wilson in high school, he's built a lot of the way, like Isaiah Naor was built in high school. Um, and so obviously Naor was a later bloomer, but, um, you know, for, for Wilson, that would be my guy on the defensive side of the ball. 
I'm going to, I'm going to take one of our guys here. I'm going to go with Tyler Turner. Um, I really like Tyler Turner at safety. I think he's a, a, I think he's athletic enough to play the position. Obviously I think he's got a great skill set, but I also think he is, uh, he has a great mind for the game, sees the field. Well, really mature, well put together kid. Um, so that's who I like on defense. I'm going to go with another defensive back here and say Tayshawn Wilson. I, I would love to pound the table for Tayshawn Wilson over and over again. He doesn't have the prototypical size. And if he had two inches on him, he'd have every offer in the country. But I think that kid is a, is a honey badger of a player. I think that he plays bigger than he is. And we've seen him Hudson at these camps where, you know, he'll line up against anybody and doesn't look intimidated. He plays big for the moment. So those would be probably my two guys on defense. Those are great answers, Mike. Uh, you you stole the Ian Reed one from me. I was I thought that I would be able to out hipster you there, but you got me on that one. That's a great one. Here's who I'll go with on offense. I'm gonna cheat on one of these because I believe that this is a 2023 uh, question, but I'm gonna take a 2024. I would, if I was a recruiting coordinator, it would be all hands on deck for Micah Hudson out of Lake Belton. He's a 2024 wide receiver who I genuinely believe has some of the best sophomore tape, especially highlights that I've really seen. He's fantastic. He's I I it is lofty praise and if you know me as an evaluator, I don't like to put these comps on guys because it is at times kind of hard to live up to, but it's hard not to just think that he is a Garrett Wilson clone. So Micah Hudson's one of my answers, 2024 wide receiver out of Lake Belton, uh, Texas. The other one is another kind of cheatsy answer because you stole Ian Reed. I'm going to say Marcus deal on the offensive side of the ball. Texas is recruiting him as a defensive lineman. He wants to play defensive line at the next level. A lot of services have him, uh, ranked as an offensive tackle and I think that he would probably be like a top 50 top 30 player if he was focused on being an offensive tackle he is freaky freaky talented and special um so those are my two picks there on the defensive side of the ball it would it would be Colton Vosick from Austin Westlake is one of them I think that he can spin inside and use his length to be a five tech that can play the run and also get after the passer. I've been really high on him since I watched this Westlake team. I mean, we were talking before the state title game a little bit when his only offer was Tulsa. And now he's another one like Ian Reed that has just exploded and he has offers from everyone across the country. And then I'd say I'll go two more for the defensive side of the ball. Darian Gillette, what he's doing on the track after a great junior season is just ridiculous. I mean, he essentially competes in five different events from long jump to discus to the relays, and he just crushes all of them. He is a freak athlete. And, you know, this is a, if you were the recruiting coordinator, um, hypothetical, but rest assured that the Texas actual recruiting department is treating Darian Gillette like the priority he should be fantastic early eval from them and they've done a great job and then a personal favorite mike it's a linebacker from franklin texas one of the first prospects that i'd ever talked with you about as a let's see two week on the job recruiting reporter i was like hey this kid bryson washington has no offers 
but he runs, he tracks, he smacks, he does everything. And he's finally started to blow up. He doesn't have a Texas offer. There has been contact there. If I was recruiting coordinator, he'd be one that I went after. All right, Hudson, agree. Uh, this one from Green89. Agree or disagree? The approach to recruiting at a broader level is changing, and Texas needs to change to be successful. I agree that the approach to recruiting at a broader level is changing. Um, I don't know if Texas needs to change. I, I, I think that they're putting the pieces in place and they're starting to recruit at a high level. I think during the middle of the 2022 cycle, or maybe in that infamous kind of horrible July, I was pretty worried about the staff's direction when it came to the changing recruiting landscape. But right now I feel good about it. What about you, Mike? I think that recruiting is always changing and you always have to be adapting with it. I mean, if I can remember from starting following recruiting to working, covering it to where we are now, I mean, there's new wrinkles every year. There's new trends. There's new everything. And so, you, yeah, you've always got to be changing it. I don't think Texas needs to make sweeping changes. Um, if you want to talk about be successful, they signed a number five class in the country last year. Yeah, it's not number one, and it's magnified. And I don't know that we'd be having this discussion if A&M wasn't the number one class last year. If it was just I Alabama agree. again, I don't think people would be freaking out at this point. Um, so I, I think that they've got a handle on what they're doing. They've got a lot of good recruiters on staff. Um, and I think do, – do you always need to look where you can tweak some things? Yes. Yeah. You should always be improving on it. But, no, I don't think they need to make any sweeping changes. And real quick, too, Mike, I think Sark showed the ability to do that with how he handled his staff changes over the offseason as well. If you're looking for improving on weaknesses and identifying flaws, I think what he's done in the portal plus the staff kind of reinforced that he does have the eye to fix those problems. Our next question from uh, Sotex Horn 90 Who are your favorite 2023 and 2024 recruits to chat with so far? So um, I'm going to once again bring up the name of Tyler Turner. He's one of my favorites to talk to. Yeah, Tyler Turner's awesome. Yeah, he's a fantastic kid. I would probably throw um, Lafayette Kaiway in there because I, I, and it's probably top of mind because I had a really good conversation with him mm -hmm. today. Um, who else do I just – I mean, the offensive linemen are all great. I love talking to all of them. The big guys are really just real fun guys. Connor Stroh is awesome. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Jaden Chapman doesn't talk a lot, but when he does, he's fun. And yeah. Ian, Ian Reed's a nice kid. You know, they're, they're all really, really good kids to talk to. Um, and <laughs> I'm going to say Jonte Cook. I mean, I know that, like – he Jonte has been causing a storm on the internet looking for football trophies everywhere, but I've just, I've known Jonte for so long and I kind of like kids that play the game to an extent, as long as I'm not on the opposite end of that game. And so far I haven't been. So uh, those are my 23s and 24. I've you and I are going to have some crossover in 24. Cause I think we're both big Freddie DuBose guys um, when it comes to talking. And then you could certainly <laughs> say Freddie too. Um, Colin Simmons is probably one of my favorite 24 guys. I just – I had a good advantage with Colin Simmons because I knew Amari Bohr real well. And I said at last year's Duncanville spring game, I was like, Amari, who should I be talking to next? And he was like, Colin. And that was when nobody was talking to Colin. So uh, he and I have just had a really 
a really good relationship. And then um, I'll give you this, not a Texas recruit, uh, but just a recruit in general, not a Texas target. I mean, uh, I would say David Sprills from Sock and, uh, and Abdul Muhammad are both kids I love talking to. Great answers, Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jonte Cook's fun as hell. It, I won't lie, at times it's intimidating when you're in, new to the industry to talk to these guys who have done thousands of interviews and, you know, kind of are a little bit jaded with the process. And Jonte is just kind of none of that. He's just really fun to be around, and it translates to other recruits liking him as well. Uh, Freddie DuBose is an easy one for 2024. I'm trying to think of some others. I really like talking to Tyler Turner. My I mean, guy, Dylan Shelby, has always okay. been awesome to me. I was like, uh, come on. Yeah. No. I just can't believe that wasn't the first answer. <laughs> no. Bra Bra if I was doing power rankings, Braylon would probably be number one. He is a ridiculously, ridiculously sweet kid that just happens to be built like a, you know, six foot six, you know built in a lab edge rusher. Um, I'm trying to think anybody kind of under the radar who's just like a really sweet kid. You know who I really like talking to? Actually, I've only talked to him once, but I'm eager to get out to DeSoto and talk to him some more. I love Trey Wisner. Yeah, he's fun. Ridiculously uh, fun to be around. Here's one name I've forgotten. I had a really good – he gets the Bijan Robinson award from me because he is just like Bijan in that – he never answers his phone. He never texts back. But if you talk to JV and Taviano in person, he is a delightful kid who gives yeah. you really smart and insightful answers. He doesn't just regurgitate the like recruit speak we're used to mm -hmm. and is just really like he's interested. He'll listen to you. He's like not he's tuned in today. I walked up to him and he just he kind of looked at me and goes, do you need an interview? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I said, I hate to bother you. I know you're getting ready for a track meet. He goes, no, no, no. You guys have a job to do. Let's go down here and we'll get away from all the other guys and we'll go do this interview. Um, and, and gave me a really great insightful answer. So I, I should definitely throw him in there as well. Real quick too, Arch Manning for me. He's awesome. We talk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Arch actually is another one that's like, yeah, He's like Taviano in the fact that we're obviously never going to get him on the phone. But the, I think I've probably talked to Arch Manning more than anybody in the Texas market. Yeah. Um, just from going out and seeing him a couple times. He is awesome. Like he is, he does not blow you off in an interview. He does give really insightful and thoughtful answers and he doesn't just like kind of mail it in. So, uh, um, yeah. And they, they've handled his process so well. So this is probably a poor taste joke, but I can just imagine baby arch doing media training at the Manning passing Academy when he was like six years old. So, yeah, basically he's just over in the tent getting fake interviewed. All exactly. right. Our next question, Hudson from Dr. Fogg. Uh, one of our more popular posters on the board. Um, why do tech? Why do kids visit Texas and not commit, but then visit AM and commit soon after? Does Texas need to press harder for commits? What is AM doing so differently to recruit at their current level? I think that that's a really broad. Uh, well, actually, I'll let you take this one first. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. I disagree with the first question. I guess we we just saw um, with Samaje Burrell this exactly happen. And yeah. that was a kid that Oklahoma 
and a bunch of other national powers were pushing Ohio forward. State. Ohio State, like canceled an Ohio State visit to come back to Texas. Exactly. So I think that's one example. And you know, it is what it is with A and M. It's you know, for Texas fans, it's hard to hear, but they recruited the twenty-two class at a historic level. Jimbo is really good at closing the deal, and you know, that's just kind of their strategy. I think this maybe circles back to what you were talking about, Mike, of just like Texas needing to run their own race to a certain degree. And yeah, what AM does in recruiting, just like Oklahoma or any other regional rival, is always going to affect Texas. But just because you're not getting Bravion Rogers and Javon Thomas right after visits, don't then diminish um, Samaje Burrell kind of doing the exact same thing. Yeah, I think it's a really broad question, and it's a lot to unpack. It's I don't think it's something that could be necessarily answered in a 90-second soundbite, but I'm going to try. I think that A&M and Texas are at two very different points as programs. And I know people are going to say, wait, it was 8-4 last year or whatever, 9-3, whatever it was. I forget what the record was. But they did just play the New Year's Six Bowl, won it the year before that. Um, they do recruit well. And that – the Right now, what you're seeing is they're going to live off the strength of signing the number one class in 2022. Anytime you do that, you get to say, like, you know, kids take notice. They want to be part of those kinds of things. In the case of Javon Thomas, I heard him say so many times that he's looking at defensive line classes because it's easier to play corner behind a dominant defensive line. Well, guess who signed the best defensive line class last year? So I think a lot of that momentum builds on itself. And like I said, they're just at two very different points. Texas still has to answer the questions on the field. And it's I think it's abstract for people because – they look at it and say, well, he hasn't done much more than what Tom Herman – Jimbo Fisher hasn't done much more than what Tom Herman did mm-hmm. during his tenure here. Well, I think if you remember, coming off of the Sugar Bowl, Texas was as hot as anybody in recruiting, and then they failed on the field. So we'll kind of see, but Texas still has to answer those questions, and that's the part about running your own race and making sure your own house is in order. Texas is 5-7. and seven. They have no business – you know, telling people that they need to go there and not somewhere else. I, I, I just think that um, a lot of these kids, they didn't grow up with the Texas we grew up with. They've, especially now, these kids are were born in uh, what class of twenty three. So they're no, born don't in, say it. It's just going to hurt everybody's feelings hearing it. It's like two thousand and four or something. Yeah, they were born the year Texas won the national 2005 ish when they won the national championship okay so by the time those kids were six years old texas started this decade of futility that they've been in and so they didn't grow up with mac brown and vince young and all those and ricky williams and all those guys they don't look at it and say oh that's you know that's the school i grew up because they were winning all the time and on tv it's just a very different landscape and until they can win at a consistent level on the field they're always going to face those questions and then and one I, last, sorry mike just one last thing too before we move on as well uh i i don't think i addressed this question and maybe you did and i missed it but the does texas need to press harder for commits too i kind of skipped over that that was one thing especially during the 22 uh cycle that i did feel like i think they're doing a good job of it now 
Yeah, I think they choose when to press and when not to. There are certainly guys they're pressing on right now trying to get in the boat, and there's other guys they're not. I mean, I think that they've got a feel for that and feel who they can and can't push. I don't think, and we're going to, a similar question is going to come up later that I thought was kind of important because I wanted to expand on it. Um, But uh, I think that right now, Texas just has to worry about getting back to that level of consistent winning. And then they can, I mean, they've look, they've showed you how they can recruit at five and seven. Imagine what they could do at 10 and three, you know, or something like that. So, all right, let's move on to our next question from Dan Shea. Where does the staff go if they miss out on Arch Manning? Where do other top recruits considering Texas land if Mama, if Manning goes to say UGA or Bama? Um, so I feel like we've talked about this a little. I think all their eggs are in the Manning basket as of yeah. right now. Now, maybe they quickly pivot if they miss him. I think it's more possible they probably just skip this year, take a gap year. And if they have to add depth via the portal, they could maybe do that. Um, I don't think the answer is just to take a body from the high school level because – those guys end up sitting on your depth chart for five years, then it may prevent you from recruiting over them. So um, right now there are no other options really. I mean, yeah, Texas talked to a couple of guys. I think that you could see a move on a guy like Jaden Rashada Mm -hmm. um, if they missed out on Arch. And, you know, we would see – I think Rashada is starting – he's not in any kind of rush to commit, but I think he is getting – starting to get pretty deep into his process. You know, schools have – obviously have a jump on him. So they're going to pay for that. Now, last year they almost pulled off Devin Brown, despite the fact that they were the last in the boat for him. But um, you can't do that every year. So I think it's probably likely they go after a guy like Rashada, throw their hat in the ring, probably don't get him, and then – Maybe take a gap year. Um, I'm with you. I was going to mention the Devin Brown thing. I think that what they would do if they did miss out on Arch, especially just depending how the season went, if they're performing at a high level and Quinn or Hudson look like gangbusters out there, I think what they would then do is examine the coaching carousel, see the potential dominoes, and if there is a top five, top eight-ish quarterback in the country try to poach them because it is a very very good 2023 recruiting class i mean who knows what tennessee is going to look like maybe the stars align if texas did miss arsh and then you get nico Imaliva or something you don't know but i think they're going to stay at the high school level in the big game group instead of taking a in-state guy in a relatively weak in-state group of qbs um the second that's that's a great that's a great point i hadn't really considered is like kind of closely examining what the coaching carousel looks like because that's how it happened with devin brown exactly um so you know like you mentioned tennessee i'm trying to think off the top of my head who are schools that could be in trouble this year um however florida state you know like there, there are just a couple schools and you know i don't know if chris parsons exactly what Steve Sarkeesian's looking for as far as QBs go, but the example just kind of holds of, okay, if, and it's not even about if a school tanks, if this offensive coordinator then gets a job and all of a sudden, okay, well, Jeff Levy's the coach at Tulsa now. Well, can Texas then make a move for Jackson Arnold or, you know, and this is all in the hypothetical of not getting arch 
And I think that almost the scarier part of the question is the second half where yeah. where do the other top recruits considering Texas land if Manning goes to Georgia or Bama? Uh, I mean, I, I do not like thinking about that. It's not – Especially a, on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, that's, Yeah, I mean, you really think about it, though. Who do you feel is really tied to Arch? I do feel Jonte Cook's tied to an extent, but I also yeah. think Texas could land Jonte Cook without Arch. I feel the same about Ruben Owens. I don't think many of the other receiver targets on their board are like, oh, yeah, I'm in if they get Arch. Um, you know, I think that they're doing a lot of good things with those guys already. I think that it would <laughs> look, it certainly helps if you have him, uh, but I don't think it's devastating if you don't get him. I don't know if it's a slight push, but I don't know. I I agree with the premise, and I'm with you. It's just almost that with AM potentially being the other option for a lot of these guys, I just almost wonder if it would just be a lack of momentum versus momentum thing if they didn't land Arch. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard with these, you know, three, four month ahead hypotheticals. And luckily, we feel pretty good about where Texas stands with Arch. So hopefully, these never come to fruition. All right. Our next question comes to us from Boss Taurus. Do you think Moro Jomo's interview and or Sark's response to it will have any effect on recruiting? Hudson. Um, great question, by the way. But no, I don't. I think that maybe a couple staffs, if they're desperate, will negative recruit it. But I don't think so. I think, honestly, it'll just end up with more like think pieces from various national media guys than it will in actual, you know, in any sort of tangible negative recruiting effect. I mean, players get it. They're high, they're coached by, you know, high school coaches who kind of say the same thing and the media presence isn't as big at the high school level, but there is a certain element of keeping it in the locker room. I mean, Mike, we both played football. We kind of know how it is. And you, you had a good piece at, on Mike at night about this. So. Yeah, and I think, too, like just seeing the Twitter clips of what Morrow said, what Sark said, it's not really made for the Twitter world where limited characters. I think seeing the full answer from Sark, while I don't necessarily agree, hey, punish the kid by not letting him talk, I do think like, okay, I get a lot more what he was saying and, and less of like, I, I'll tell you, because when I first saw the Twitter thing, it's just the snippet of like, yeah, he won't be talking to you. I was like, oh, no, this is like a... a gigantic panic move um but I, after seeing the full context of the answer i was like oh okay i get what he's saying um, yeah and, and i think it's not just sark versus morrow in a vacuum like and i don't think that there's any sort of issue there but it's also you know morrow said some stuff that was also kind of negatively taken by teammates and maybe in the long run that will be a good thing for texas to maybe clear the air a little bit but it's not, it wasn't just, oh, Sark's offended by what Morrow said. No, it's that it created a little bit of a ripple. You're trying to lock in during spring ball. And I don't know, I think Sark handled it well, but I also thought it was refreshing to see Morrow be that honest. Yeah, I definitely do. And I just think that it's one of those things that like the offseason in Texas has, has be, the result of these struggles has made the offseason worse than the regular season. Because the offseason is just a year for everybody to deal with their anxiety, 
these sound bites come out once a spring, twice a spring. Everybody freaks out about it. People write about it. It's a big picture question. What's the culture of Texas? And why this is why they continue to lose. And like in the end, it's just like any other program, if this had happened at Alabama, which again, I get Texas is not Alabama, but if this had happened at Alabama, it would have been forgot about in 24 hours. Yeah, and speaking about Texas fans and anxiety during the offseason, most of the listener base for this podcast will have already watched the video. But if you haven't, if you haven't, go watch um, our friend Kieran's uh, Texas fans every offseason video at Care Bear Kieran. That'll sum it up for you. I think he, I think he did a tremendous job in that clip. So, like, weird side note story about Kieran. Um, I was at it was the regional final game. Quinn Ewers junior year against Jaquindon Jackson's Duncanville. Team oh yeah. At I think I know this story. Everybody in the world was there. And I'm like, the game ends. I had uh, talked to like Amaria Boer because I couldn't believe nobody was offering him anything yet. Um, and uh, I see this guy coming down the stands. He's like waving at me. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, how are you? And it, it is Kieran. And he's like, hey, I'm just a big fan of you. Like, would you mind if we took a picture? And I was just like taken aback because I'm, you know me, Hudson. I hate them. Yeah. Like, it, I, I'm not a famous person. Like, my wife makes fun of me because sometimes I get spotted in a restaurant or something. And, and it'll be a reader or a listener or something. And she'll make fun of me. And I, I just am appalled. Or I'm just mortified anytime. Like, I don't ever want anybody to think I'm too self-important. Like, we write about high school football. It's, it's I'm not famous. Um. So I was kind of taken like, wow, uh, kid wants to take a picture with me, but we talked for a little bit. And then, like, I fast forward to 2020 uh, quarantine, I download TikTok like everybody else who's bored, and I see him on there, and he's like a megastar. And I was like, that's the kid who took the picture with me. So he's the star. I'm not. Yeah. Um, and, and Kieran also had the hilarious when we were at the uh, state tournament um, when. Travis Hunter flipped to Jackson State and he trolled Florida State fans by acting like um, a, a angry Florida State fan in a, I think, 10,000 person space that went very viral. Amazing, amazing guy. There's a, there's your impromptu five minute uh, Kieran segment that was deserved based on that video. Was he the guy in that space that was like, yep. Oh, Jackson I, didn't State. I did not know that. Okay. Yep. Oh, man. I, I love it that he did it. I really hate that that wasn't a real reaction. <laughs> Santa Claus is a real life. Yeah. I didn't know that that was him. That's incredible. All right. Shout out Kieran. Um, all right. Next question. Is it time? Uh, this is from D Carmen 09. Is the time now for Sark and staff to get aggressive and have a sense of urgency to get some guys in the, in the boat or is the relaxed laid back and let it play out approach a better strategy? Love this question. Yeah, I think it kind of illuminates a little bit on what we were talking about earlier. But um, I think you have to recruit the way you recruit. And you can't change and um, necessarily – look, I don't think Texas is actively like, oh, no, Javon Thomas and Bravian Rogers, you cannot commit here. Um, pushing requires leverage. And as we talked about, leverage depends a lot on a lot of different factors. Um, I think that last year they kind of proved in year one that they were distance runners. And um, in November, everybody was freaking out about what the class looked like. And in January, everybody was pretty happy. So um, 
I say let them run the way they're running. Until we see a major misstep in a recruiting cycle, it's hard to say they're doing it wrong. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a great answer. And one thing to add, too, personally, I like having at least half your class or maybe, you know, three-fifths of your class, 60%, by the time that the season actually starts. That's just kind of how I view it. But I love leaving spots because guys, especially in the state of Texas, just come out of nowhere during their senior years. I would hate thinking about the Texas class in 2022 without Ethan Burke. And if you fill up all the way or take way too many commits, you know, that's something that I guess it kind of worries me. And I think that's one of the positives of the staff being a little bit more, I think distance runner is a great way to put it other than relaxed because they're, they're not relaxed at any point. They're pushing these guys, but it does just allow a little bit more time to really get those evaluations. Right. And I think that after seeing them nail them in the 2022 class, I'm, I'm more encouraged for the 23 cycle. All right. Our next question from a King 80. This is a heavy A&M episode of the mailbag, uh, and it probably doesn't help that I put the mailbag up shortly after Javon Thomas committed. But um, A-King-80 asks, besides winning football games on the field, what does Texas need to do to keep up with Texas A&M on the recruiting trail? Thanks for all that you guys do. I don't think you can remove winning football games on the field from the equation. Um, I think that that is a massive obstacle for Texas. And the perception that it's always going to be a coaching carousel at Texas. And in three years, the next guy will be in. Hurts them. They're stuck in that cycle right now. They need somebody to break that cycle. And that's the big thing. And AM has shown stability. They've got their, you know, doesn't hurt that they hired a guy who'd won a national championship. So obviously they're not going to move on him very quickly. They paid him a lot of money. Stability matters, I think. I think you got to win on the field. And I think you got to stop worrying as much about what the other schools are doing and just run your own race. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an interesting, and also thank you for the thanks, A King AD. That was very nice. But I'm trying to think of an interesting way to kind of tackle this question because I do agree with you and I don't want to repeat myself. Here's something to keep up with AM on the recruiting trail, Texas needs to land blue chip elite talent from other states. Arch Manning is an example of that, but it's hard for me to think that Texas can keep up with AM as far as a pace considers. If AM is going to repeat off the historic 2022 class, if you can't land guys like Shamar uh, Stewart, um, yes. Gabriel Brownlow Diddy, Levius Overton, like those are three guys in the middle of SEC country that they were able to go in and grab. And until Texas can do that, it's hard for me to think that without like an Arch Manning type boost that they can compete for those number one classes. I mean, those are the guys that are probably, other than the quarterbacks, the most positionally valuable as far as national recruiting goes, right, Mike? Like the yeah. true war daddy defensive lineman from the South. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting big NFL bodies Yeah, and – you know, those are that's how you win games. That's how Bama wins games. Get NFL bodies, get blue chip quarterbacks and blue chip receivers. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm trying to think, too. It's like 
you want to get the SEC bodies, you want to get the NFL bodies, but I think the difference too in I guess the and I don't want I don't want to pick on the kid because he actually moves really well, but there is a little bit of a difference between like the Samu Tam, Tamanu Pepe's of the world and like the Jordan Davis at Georgia of the world where sure you have the size and maybe even the lateral mobility, but are you the freak of all freaks that's running a four, eight at 360 pounds. And those are the type of the guys that I think if Texas does want to get at that level, they didn't, they do need to recruit. Yeah. And it's been done also, I should say for sure. a has done a really good job establishing a footprint in Florida in the Southeast in general, Georgia, they're adding to that. And then of course they can, they, because of Elijah Robinson, can go up into Pennsylvania and kind of the Northeast corridor there and pick up guys as well. So, you know, this is a, I guess that is one thing I would say is I thought this would be a little bit more of a national recruiting staff, the way it was put together. And they tried to go national a lot last year. They'll, they'll, of course, they're always going to recruit California. They're always going to recruit Louisiana. It seems like, but yeah, establish uh you know it seems like they're trying a lot more out west arizona and utah and areas like that but establishing a footprint in a place like florida would be massive for texas florida georgia i think they are doing a sneaky great job in louisiana too i don't want to make this just the you know too much a&m talk i mean like a guy like zaylance heard too who we i mentioned i think last podcast but somebody like that out of monroe that's an sec body that i that i think is a blue chip elite trench talent that could play on the offense or the defensive side that Texas looks great for. It'll be tough with LSU, but that type of player is who, if Texas does want to get at that level, land that guy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Our next question from triplet Joseph 44 with A&M getting a lot of momentum. Should the staff push to get a few commitments to slow it down? Hudson. I'll skip. I'll use my one skip. We, we've kind of addressed this one. Yeah, I will say if you're – again, run your race. If if you're pushing – look, Texas getting a commitment um, from anybody that's not one of the core four or, you know, an, an otherwise highly rated prospect is not going to stall anybody's momentum. Um, you want to create momentum for yourself. You know, it doesn't necessarily, I think momentum like culture, I'm going to go to war against culture as a word, and I'm going to go to war against momentum because anybody who knows me knows that I hate conversations about momentum and um, especially in game because I think it's an unquantifiable thing that people throw around. It's like a catch-all word. And so, uh, sure, recruiting momentum is real to an extent but i also think a lot of times it's manufactured there's a lot of i mean i think back to the 2018 class look like texas had crazy momentum well they manufactured it they they line those guys up and i'm like okay you're going to commit this week you're going to commit the next week like we'll announce it here here and here you know it's not that they got brendan eagles so then they got bj foster and jalen green it was like they got all those guys at once and just kind of lined it up like a domino effect so um you know, I think that uh, when you uh, – I was actually talking to Jeff uh, Howe about this today, and he said, when you push for a commitment to stop somebody else's momentum, you typically end up with a guy you'd like to run off the roster in a year or two. So That's a lot. Uh, 
you know, I think that 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 definitely plays. All right. Um, since you took a pass, I'll let you take the first one. This one, yeah. Best guess as of today from John Wayne one. Will the 2023 class finish better or worse than 2022? Great question. I'm going to say better, especially, and, you know, Mike, I think you agree with me on this, especially in the primary category. I think you should evaluate recruiting classes. Average rank of recruit. I think that 23 is going to smoke 22. Well, it's not going to have two specialists in it. So, yeah, uh, that'll that'll help the average rating for sure um, or will it don't count jeff banks out that's true um yeah i mean i think it would depend on what you consider better um i think it'll be better in some spots i think they will have a much better wide receiver group in this class obviously it's going to be hard not wide receiver to linebacker yeah, but I think they're not going to match their offensive line and defensive line from last year because they took a lot of bodies and a lot of quality bodies. So um, if we're just talking about overall rank, five's always I – mean, it's it's tough to get in that top five. Um, I think you get Arch Manning, you give yourself a chance at top three. So I think a lot depends on that. Um, speaking of Arch Manning, our final question – does not come to us from Charles Daniels. It comes to us from Granberry guy. Uh, shout out Granberry, not too far from my house, and my wife loves uh, the wineries out there. So she asked me today if I could take her to Granberry sometime soon. So shout out Granberry guy. Um, isn't it a good idea to put all the eggs in Arch Manning's basket? Didn't that backfire in 2021 when we had to look late for a quarterback who's fifth on the depth chart behind a true freshman and a walk-on? Um. Again, I think if you go back to kind of what Hudson and I talked about a little earlier about the strategy of missing out on Arch, um, I think it that changes things a little bit. I think this staff is kind of – it's hard to say because we have a year's worth of data on it, but this staff has been pretty good about lining up secondaries for things. And um, I think – I, I think to win Arch Manning, you have to go all in. Yeah, I, I, I just do. I mean, I think that it's where Texas can't match Georgia and Alabama when it comes to the winning that they're doing at this point. The only thing other than, you know, the relationships and the scheme and all that, the thing you could do to separate is show, hey, we're all in on you. And these other guys are recruiting – several other quarterbacks and um that's got to be your your you know the thing that differentiates you so um yeah i i think had you not got quinn ewers it would be a very bad idea to go all eggs in the yeah. basket arch manning i think quinn ewers gives you a little bit of cushion there agreed and mike it just goes back to it just goes back to who has the leverage in the arch manning recruitment alabama had you know nick saban kind of enough said as far as their leverage goes, even though they're obviously coveting Arch. George is fresh off of a national title with a walk-on quarterback. Texas does not have the leverage to, you know, keep Eli Holstein in the back pocket or have Christopher Vizina on a visit. It's, it's all gas, no breaks, quite literally in this recruitment. And with the 2021 QB example with Charles Wright, that's just kind of a tough one because, yes, you 
flipped him from Iowa State, but with the transition year kind of existing as well, that, that's just kind of a tough one for me to do the mental math on there. Um, and like we talked about early, if they do miss on Arch, I think they should, if they're having a good season, be able to get one of the eventual dominoes that will fall with the top eight or 10 QBs who are all pretty fantastic in the 23 class. Um, the worry is if you don't land Arch Manning and Texas <laughs> struggles again on the field and you can't then big game hunt one of the other quarterbacks, then you are kind of in a 2021 situation where you have to take an in-state guy that maybe you don't think is an actual Steve Sarkeesian level QB, or you have to go portal hunting and that's its own mess heading into a potential hot seat third year. So yeah, I mean, it's a risky bet, but I think it's calculated and it's very smart. I don't think that it's an impulse bet. I think that it is a crunching the numbers. This is our play. And, you know, they've kind of had diamond hands and I, I think it's going to pay off at the end. And I also think getting Arch or not getting Arch drastically changes the picture for 24. The variance is wild. Because I think if you don't get Arch, you're big time in play for Dylan Rayola. You're big, big time, time in play for Julian Sand. And not getting Arch really helps both of those recruitments. For I sure. think getting Arch probably hurts them both a little bit. So. And that's where the Quinn cover, I think, is the biggest to where, okay, if you don't land Arch and say you do have to maybe take an older portal guy, well, if you have the number one player in the country for the 24 class or Julian Sain, who's a baller in his own right, you do have that little bit of cover to where there's another elite guy on campus. And like you were probably about to say, then if you do land Arch, then maybe you can take a shot at a Deuce Adams or whoever in-state in 2024 and, and grab your uh, first in-state quarterback of the Steve, Steve, uh, Steve Sarkeesian era. Yeah, I'll be, um, I'll be happy to go to Elite 11 tournaments again. I don't know. Yeah, no joke. I don't no get joke. to go to Elite 11 regionals anymore because uh, the quarterbacks they recruit don't aren't in this region. So, um, all right, that's going to do it. I think that was a fun mailbag episode. Live yeah, I had a blast. Great questions, friends, on the board. Yeah, so thank you to our posters for that. Uh, thank you guys for playing along, listening every week, and, and giving us feedback. If you could, please go rate our, our podcast five stars. Um, five star views only, no one stars. Yeah, um, on. give us feedback, subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. Tell your friends about us. We're fun. Um, and I think, I, I well, I can't talk about this now, but I think in the oh, future, please. I think in the future, maybe with reviews, we may have some things to give away. Ooh. Um, so we may start dangling that out there to get uh, to, to get the, the reviews up. So go to the Horns 24-7 uh, podcast uh, page on you know, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, the great Horns 24-7 network of podcasts, which includes the Longhorn Blitz with uh, Jeff Howe and Rob Babers and the flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown. Uh, the, you know, I, I would say listen to all three of them. I think that Jeff and Rod do a lot of really good in-depth, you know, football discussion, you know, Chip and Taylor chips, obviously, you know, got his finger on the pulse of the beat. They have great interviews every week, with, a lot of weeks with people. 
Um, I, I don't want to speak for them and say every week and hold them to that, but uh, a lot of weeks, especially during the off season, I think they have some great guests on. So uh, check those out for sure. Thank you to Hudson. Thank you to Taylor for um, uh, putting this together and for staying up late with us tonight as uh, we had to, to do the, get this one in late as we ended at uh, 1133. All right. For Mike Roach, or I'm sorry, for Hudson Standish, I'm Mike Roach, and we will see you guys next week. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.